0: become part of this. <laughs> uh,
1: anyway, Ed Nail is the chairman of the Coalition of New Hampshire Taxpayers, and he is the anchor of our Question of Voter Fraud segment. He's been at this for a whole long time, and uh, I don't know, you're starting to chip away at the old granite block here?
0: Yeah, it's starting to become fun. I mean, one of the most delightful things I heard recently was the Supreme Court ruled against Carl Gibson,
1: Yeah, that would be the New Hampshire Supreme
0: Court. New Hampshire Supreme Court. Remind everybody who Carl Gibson is. Carl Gibson's a buddy of mine. He's from, uh, well, he's from multiple states, and he moved here in 2008. He assumed a, I don't know where he was staying, somewhere in Manchester, I think, in 2008, to lead a campaign against Frank Ginta for Congress. And uh, I think he was successful in 2008 because he wrote a little book about it. And uh, he came back and he voted here in 2008. I think it was 555 Canal Street, something like that. Memory serves me right, and then he came back in 2012, and he was he had an apartment in Summit Street in Concord, and he was voting out of there and leading another campaign against frank Frankinta. But in the meantime, uh, he had uh, later on 2015, he was still hanging around. He was helping Bernie Sanders, and he was helping a woman, a real leftist, who was running in a special election in uh, Candia Deerfield area. Uh, man. Maureen Mann, I think her name was. Yes, yes. He was helping her oh, run man. for office. He's Talk a, about leftist nuts. Yeah, he's a professional. Basically, he's Antifa, is what he is. Yeah. So he's here as a professional campaign worker, and he made a phone call and posed, uh, was sent out a tweet, posing as the candidate, the Republican candidate who was running in that special election. Yvonne Dean Bailey. Yvonne Dean Bailey. Who's now the vice chairman of the
1: election law committee. Yeah,
0: funny how that works. And uh, he he's Sent out this tweet to the news media and said, well, I'm Yvonne Dean Bailey and I'm getting out of the race because my studies are t- just too much time. Yeah. So he did that on a Thursday before the election, which would have been on Tuesday, to To basically suppress, you get the this vote. suppress the vote. So it's called Democrat voter suppression. Right. In case John DeSaiso is out there and wants to learn about something uh, like real voter suppression he could write about but doesn't. Uh, so this is what he did. So a reporter at the Concord Monitor, a guy named Tim Reed, if I remember correctly – Tim Reed said, uh, "Oh, that, that email doesn't look like hers. It's yeah. Yvonne. He sent
1: out an email, not a tweet.
0: It was an email, yeah. yeah. And but it went to it went to sources and and it went uh, to the media. Yeah, and the media picked it up. And this Concord reporter he sent called it from him. A,
1: up. He sent it from a bogus email account, a right. lookalike email account. It was so like this guy, Yvonne, Tim Reed,
0: Yvonne Bean Daly instead of right. Yvonne Dean Bailey. Right. So something like that. So he gets caught. So the, the reporter calls him up. What's going on? Well, yeah, that was me. And blah blah blah. And I must have had one too many beers. It was just a prank. So." the fool sure had come here and registered as a Republican. So right away, the AG's office swoops in, <laughs> doesn't take any evidence and, and arrests him. I guess he was a Concord police officer. Cause I met that guy later on. Uh, they arrest him for voter suppression and uh false report or something like that. one of six, 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 six is one of the statutes they arrested him for. Right. And the other one was impersonation or some, some goofy thing. But anyway, he's in there and, uh, He goes to court, and he's got an attorney, and they're trying to argue that the... uh, It was satire. That was satire, and Mm. that the... Constitutionally uh, protected speech, satire. Satire. And the uh, reporter didn't want to testify because it would harm his confidential sources and his ability to be a reporter.
1: Yeah. But, but there were no confidential sources because he was the guy who figured it out by looking at the bogus email address. And he
0: said, everything I know I wrote in the article. That's what he told the AG right. when he was interviewed. So in the interviews, uh, the AG is going to use him as a witness, basically a direct witness to the voice on the other end of the phone, which was Carl Gibson who admits that. So the judge in Merrimack spirit court threw out, threw out the, uh, the reporter basically Quash subpoena to have him speak. And that would have been the key piece of evidence because the moron from the AG's office didn't pick up any evidence, didn't take Carl's phone, didn't take Carl's computer. That would be the, our good friend Steve Lobotomy. Steve Lobotomy, who's now, luckily he's gone from the AG's office as far as I know. So Carl's fat, dumb, and happy. He's just waiting for the trial to come. and they, they uh, The judge is sympathetic to this stupid argument that it was satire. It's not satire. Mm-hmm. It was political sabotage. It was voter suppression, in case John DeSaiso is out there and wants to write about voter suppression for once in his life and have a real story. the um, So the Supreme Court rules, and I think they were tied down because they've ruled on reporters before right? because they mentioned it in the case. So it looks like Carl is going to have a trial. It's going to go back to this sympathetic judge. The judge may still hang it on satire and the judge may... Do who knows what else? I don't trust this judge by listening to him. Hmm. Hmm. With the evidence presented, and there's evidence that the uh, attorney general's office has that they're not using against Carl.
1: Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. So, do you uh, see that changing? Uh, that we have a new attorney general?
0: Yeah, and uh, lo- uh, lobotomy is gone, <clears throat> so he could testify.
1: Mm.
0: (laughs) he could be subpoenaed to testify what he knows because i believe there's some information that uh, he has that he is not using Mm -hmm. which would solidify the case against carl goodman they now found out he's a ultra left-wing antifa democrat and i don't think they ever wanted to catch him in the first place but to be a smarty pants he registered as a republican bingo you know they jumped right on it so my good friend carl gibson who's actually had his arm around me at uh, merrimack district court there you go uh the time i met him down there I went down and uh, I knew he was going to be there for some sort of a hearing. Right, right. And I went down. I sat next to what I thought might be his lawyer. He came down, sat right between me and his lawyer, and he went over his case while I listened intently. And went outside and I called Granite Rock and I told him the story. I believe, <laughs> I believe we had that on Granite Rock before he ever got it to the judge. Uh-huh. So that's kind of the fun part about car. I got a big kick out of him. And I found out his car was not inspected or registered. In, it's Connecticut plates. Yeah, Connecticut plates it that expired, were expired two years before. Yeah. So I turned him into the police in Concord and I got the officer that actually arrested him (laughs) and he said that car's not going anywhere in this city (laughs) and it was like a day or two later I couldn't find Carl's car anymore it looks like it disappeared so um he's a nut and he would normally he would be at all these these demonstrations he's been arrested all over the country for this kind of stuff so he would normally be in Madison or he'd be in uh, Charlottesville that's that's his home you know doing stuff like that so Carl's stuck here and uh it, and it's
1: all your fault Ed.
0: it's all hopefully some of it's my fault and i feel wonderful about it well
1: you kind of came in after the fact
0: but i did all the background on him i did a 17 page amicus brief in that case that's right the did, AG's whatever office, happened to that nothing the ag's office filed an uh yeah the ag opposed
1: yesterday. your your yep. brief helping them yep
0: and uh and it was detailed it was great cuz he's done stuff exactly like this before <clears throat> And I wanted to get that to the judge. So the judge has not ruled on it. So I had it up. uh, There was a motion to deny it, whatever, that the AG's office, Labonte, filed. So they recognize I filed an amicus brief, but the court has not recognized that it's there, which is uh, amazing to the people that hand me the file when I get out of Concord and check on the file. So it's not in the file. It's it's in the file. Oh, it is in the file. Oh, yeah. But the judge hasn't ruled on it. I don't think the line. judge would prefer to see that he's done this to General Electric. He's done something similar in Mississippi Public Radio. He's got an arrest record, state after state after state. Right, because this pranks. isn't his
1: first gig uh, sending out bogus press releases. No. He caused what GE stocked a tank by three some, billion. Yeah, three billion dollar hit because prank. of a bogus. Release he yep. sent
0: out, uh, and that's it's not a prank; it's sabot, sabotage. Oh yeah, so it's, it's politically motivated sabotage. So Carl Gibson and his man boobs are sitting here in New Hampshire waiting trial. Oh, he has man boobs, even better. Yeah, it'll be great when he goes to jail. <laughs> you might find some use for those. <laughs> <laughs> So that's one fun thing about voter fraud in New Hampshire, the voter suppression that uh, the professional journalists in the state of New Hampshire will not write about. I remember somebody, it was John DeSaiso, I think his name is, from, he was at the Union Leader. He wrote about uh, phone jamming for nine years. Oh, uh, Phone yeah. jamming, phone jamming, the phone jamming. That Chuck yeah. Manjee- that's Manjee right. thing, right? That was, he was very interested in that. He, was, when the, he boiled <laughs> that down to the molecular level, like we do with voter fraud, but uh, he's not, not, nobody seems interested in writing about Carl. That's okay. And it was nice. Uh, I, somebody from North Carolina called and said, hey, have we heard you know this has happened. This is great. Because he'd been arrested in North Carolina pulling stunts like this. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's the fun part about being hooked up with the other states. Okay. We have, right, right here in my hot little hands. Hot little hands. I have some recent Supreme Court cases. Ooh. These New Hampshire or U.S.? New Hampshire. Okay. This is Jay uh, Krakowski and Christopher Krakowski versus Town of Chester. And this Not is what the Supreme Court of New Hampshire says. RSA 21234 does not define the word willful, and we have never had occasion to interpret willful in the context of this statute. Hmm. At our argument, the plaintiffs are just to adopt the definition used by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in analyzing claims under California's recreational
1: use. Now, what are we talking about?
0: Um, Well, we're going to compare this with the word domicile. Oh, okay. So – so we going to play word games. We play word games. This is yeah. how the this New Hampshire State Supreme Court plays word games. Right here, they have a statute. It's twenty-two, one, two, three, four, yeah. and it's at issue in this case. Right? Like domicile is at issue in election cases. Okay. okay, and the Supreme Court of the State of New Hampshire has never ruled on what domicile is. Something is as, as long as we've been involved with. Oh, domicile means somebody from another state can can vote here, which it does not. Here's a word. Willful. They're avoiding it. It's a little word like willful. They said, "Oh, we're just going to go to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals." Here's another case, Town of Hanover. We observe, however, that the interpretation of a zoning ordinance is is a question of law, which we review de novo. And it means new. Anderson One Fifty Five. Because the traditional rules of statutory construction generally govern our review, the words and phrases of an ordinance should be construed according to the common and approved. Usage of the language. <laughs> so like our Constitution says, that you should you shall vote in the town or ward in which you're domiciled. RSA 21.6 says resident, one who is domiciled in the mm-hmm. state of New Hampshire to the exclusion of all others. So when the language of an ordinance is plain and unambiguous, we need not look beyond the ordinance itself for further indications of legislative intent. Moreover, we will not guess what the drafters of the ordinance might have intended or add words that they do not see fit to include. Uh But we can't go to Black's Law Dictionary and find that out. Uh, Here's one, Katie versus Deerfield. The resolution of this case involves statutory interpretation. We first examine the language of the statute and ascribe the plain and ordinary meanings of the words used. We interpret legislative intent from the statute as written and will not consider what the legislator might have said or add language. And what they use here is, uh, I think they're using... um, one of these, they have a dictionary. Webster's Third International Dictionary, 480, unabridged, 2002. Thus, under the ambiguous, uh, unambiguous meaning of the word conjunction, Alpha Delta must have some union association or combination with a college. So what I'm thinking is, since we, this is so critical, and we've lost a U.S. Senate seat to people from other states voting here in New Hampshire, that's beyond discussion anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, why doesn't the New Hampshire State Supreme Court just look at the word domicile the next time they're they're looking at a domicile case like this, uh, what the heck is her name, Anna McGuire case mm-hmm. versus the state of New Hampshire. A, a person from Bangor, Maine is allowed to vote in Durham because they go to college there. They're going to keep their driver's license in Maine. This We've heard this over and over again. Why can't they just do that? Why in the world does the Supreme Court avoid what they simply do in other cases? And these are you know, just randomly picked out. You can pick a Supreme Court case for New Hampshire and just scroll down the thing. When you see the small bulleted words, that's usually where they go to a definition or a statute. It's easy to find. But here in New Hampshire, when Steve Lobotomy was defending our right to vote, he stipulated that domicile, you could have multiple domiciles but only one residence. So before the case was even heard, they took domicile right out of the question by stipulating that it meant the opposite what it means and that's how we have voter fraud in new hampshire so mm-hmm. now and and the other fun part is this is as you i guess your wife was talking to one of the ags uh,
1: yes there was a person uh, from the ag's office at the ward 2 polling place who okay. my wife uh, spoke with for and he said something about
0: there was a 1972 case yes yeah they have to let people from other states vote here because of a 1972 federal case yes the peterson case yes here it is the case We are sensitive to the compelling need to preserve the basic conception of a political community. That's Dunn versus Blumenstein. And in that case, the federal government stepped in in Tennessee and said, you can't ascribe an unreachable uh, domicile requirement. You can't say you have to live here for a year and promise to stay for another year before you can vote. So that's where the federal government came into a state and corrected a problem. This is what I'm intrigued by that one. But the challenged New Hampshire law forces a pers- persons who are in every meaningful sense members of New Hampshire's political communities to vote in communities elsewhere, which they have long departed and whose, polit- uh, whose affairs are no longer concerned, if indeed the former community still recognizes that right. So somehow, Bill Gardner... And the AG's office, the old one, interpreted that into, oh, I guess we have to let people from other states vote here.
1: Well, that's probably the same pap that the lawyers for the uh, Senate and House gave on Senate Bill 3, because I had a rather short, but uh, I would say terse conversation with uh, Senator Birdsell uh, when Kellyanne Conway did that event up in Concord for the Republican Committee. Mm -hmm. And she said, we got into this over the students, and she said, It's the law. The lawyers told us we had to let students vote. I said, "Are the lawyers going to tell you next that those out-of-state students should be paying in-state tuition?" Oh, I have that. And she and she walked away.
0: Yeah, I have that one too. Yeah,
1: that was your. You brought that. uh, You know that the in-state affidavit that they have to sign. uh, Yeah,
0: it's a a beautiful thing. University uh, of New Hampshire notarized residency statement for the state for in-state. So it says resident, 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 and it says when you sign here. This is your legal domicile. That is exactly how resident and domicile have been used for hundreds of years. And that's exactly
1: how it should be used when it comes to voting because the idea that some you know college kid with an out-of-state driver's license can vote here legally uh, is is ridiculous. But we can also thank Steve Labonte and the attorney general's office for arguing uh, to the court that uh, it's okay for them to do it. Now, this is your state attorney general's office doing this. Uh, because they've quote established a presence really so establishing a presence now i've established a presence in in scenic penardville here does that mean i get to vote in goffstown selectman uh, races
0: boy i guess you could argue it that way if you uh
1: because i've established a a presence here and i live in manchester so i could vote in manchester because i live there and i could i could i could vote in goffstown because i've established a presence here i just walk right over across the street here to the bartlett elementary school cast my ballot Use seven twelve Mast Road as the uh, as the voting address. See, it's me. It's really me, and I really have a presence there. You can see it. It's right here.
0: But if I said establish a domicile, completely different story. Oh, and that's why they do it. And we've been scammed by on this, and we've been scammed in the Claremont case. The same thing. There is no there is no requirement in the New Hampshire Constitution. For the state to pay for an education, because when these, case, these cases first started back in the eighties, yeah. all the states were animal, analyzed by the litigants, by the people that proposed this education funding lawsuits. And well, sorry, we can't do it in New Hampshire because they have no education clause. And then the New Hampshire Supreme Court invents one by using the word cherish. There's right. another one. Cherish doesn't mean income tax, sales tax. Yeah. means cherish. cherish
1: means tax them back to the Stone Age. Yeah. So and, that's,
0: That's basically the scam that's been going on.
1: Ed Nail, chairman of the Coalition of Hampshire Taxpayers. As always, the pleasure is ours. We're going to take a break for whatever we
0: can do between now and
1: the top of the hour. News is next. Stay with us.